Good morning, Sabbath blessings. Uh, I welcome you, those joining us through uh, uh, Facebook, our Facebook page, church page, and also our YouTube channel. Uh, God bless you. It's good for you. Good to be with you here this morning, uh, joining us in what we call our Pow Talk Church. Uh, I welcome all of you together. Uh, we've got a, um, of course, you know, being the pastor, I would say every message that the Lord gives me to bring is an important one. Uh, this one's no different. <laughs> this one's no different. And uh, we're getting down to crunch time as far as biblical prophecy is concerned. And there are things that uh, that we need to uh, seriously consider uh, before it's too late for any changes to be made. And, and so before we get into our message here this morning, uh, let's have a word of prayer. And so uh, we always want to ask the, the Holy Spirit to, to guide us. Uh, before we get into the study of God's Word. So let's do that now. I invite you to bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much again for a beautiful Sabbath day. Every Sabbath is beautiful, uh, Lord. Uh, and uh, we so appreciate that you created this day to be with us. We invite you into our homes, wherever we may be. We ask for the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts. We open our hearts to His guidance and wisdom and that He will write upon our hearts the truth that we find and discover in your holy word and also cultivate within us a love for that truth. Father, we pray that you will uh, be with those who are traveling to houses of praise and worship today. Please be with them. Keep them safe. Send angels to guide and direct and keep them safe from the wicked one. We pray for angels from heaven to be with us here now as well. Please be with those who are ill. We lift them up before you. Uh, Father, we pray that you send angels to minister to their needs and heal them according to thy will. And Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, the uh, most precious gift that you've ever given anytime, anywhere. And uh, uh, we claim the blood that he shed for our sins as we ask forgiveness. Father, we pray that we may be the people you wish us to be. Help us, Lord, to see that it's us who, who stand in the way most of the time. Uh, from you doing your will in our in our hearts. But we open our hearts to you now. Please forgive us. Help us to see the truth. Give me the words to speak this morning, Lord. May they be your words, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Um, you know, friends, we continue here in the, the sin issue has been the series. I only have a couple more uh, not counting today, a couple more messages to, to finish this series. It's been very, very enlightening to me, and uh, I hope to you as well. I hope that we have learned together uh, what God uh, promises to do for each one of us involving this sin issue and uh, how God is de dealing with it. But uh, what I want to talk about this time, you know, as you read through the Bible, and I'm sure... Uh, those of you who are Bible students as I, uh, you get a tremendous picture of the love and the long-suffering of God towards His people. Though, you know, they've almost always shown themselves to be stiff-necked. You know, as Stephen uh, uh, recalled and as he rebuked them, uh, those before they killed him before they murdered him. It's found in Acts 7, verses 51-53. Remember, Stephen said, he said, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. 
Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which show before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And so we see here, here's Stephen. He's saying, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. And he says, What's, why? Why have you been this way? What caused you to become this way? It's because God gave you His law. He gave you prophecy, the spirit of prophecy. That's what the Old Testament was to them. And yet you have not kept it. You see, they had neither kept the letter of the law, though they professed to, nor its intent, which is the spirit of the law. And it's the law of God which defines sin. And here Stephen's saying it was given by angels. And it could have been their glory. Its perversion, however, was precipitating their shame and, and, and destruction. And they recognized it not. But believed their sin of the murder of Stephen right then. They believed it was actually doing God a favor. You see, they had gotten to the point where they called sin righteousness. And we see that the majority today have been deceived in doing the same exact thing. By the way, I like to define terms sometimes, but do you know what the word stiff-necked means? And what it, what it actually refers to? Well, as it is figuratively used both in both Testaments, the Old and the New Testament, the word means stubborn, uncontrollable, um, not to be led. Now, most people understand what it means, but do you know where this expression came from? Well, friends, it, der it derives from the use of oxen, which was the most useful and common of those domestic animals that the Jews used. You know, they had an agricultural economy. And they used these oxen, for one thing, in plowing their fields. And this is where the term comes from. As the plowman used one hand to guide the plow, he carried in the other hand what was called an ox goad. Maybe some of you who uh, uh, grew up on farms know exactly what I'm talking about. This was a rod that had an iron spike on the end of it. And, and with this goad, he would prick the oxen upon its hind legs to increase their speed. But then he would, he would prick them on the neck, one side or the other, to control their direction. Okay? Or to keep a, 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 a straight course. And this was called an ox goad. Now, if an ox was hard to control or stubborn to that kind of guidance, it was said to be, that ox was said to be hard of neck or stiff-necked. And that's where the expression comes from. So, you know, the figure is used in the scriptures to express the stubborn, uncontrollable spirit of a people that ignore or rebel against the guiding of God who wants to turn them in his ways, his by using his ox goad, you know, uh, he wants to turn them to righteousness. And so, as I said before, 
we can see in Bible history how uh, loving, patient, long-suffering God is towards all of us who are too often stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, as Stephen was saying. But friends, with the gift of Jesus, we see that our Father in heaven will pull out all the stops to save us from the sin issue. And that's what we've been speaking about for a good while here now. Now, if you take your Bibles and you turn to Second Chronicles chapter 36, the, the last chapter in the Hebrew Bible, as you some refer to the Old Testament, notice what we find in verses 15 and 16. That's 2 Chronicles 36, verses 15 to 16. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Now we definitely see uh, in this passage of Scripture how stiff-necked God's people were and, and also the reluctance of God to bring judgments, to bring punishment upon them. And in an effort uh, to avert punishing them for their apostasy, he sends messengers to them to tell them what's going to happen if they keep going that sinful way. And to appeal to them to repent and come back to him. And of course, to repent means to, to, to change your mind, to turn around, to go a different direction. God's messengers represent, you know, who we're talking about it, they represent the ox goat of God. I guess you could say, couldn't you? This passage says that God rose up early. He sent messengers, many messengers, to try to get his people to repent because he had pity on his people. But then it says they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. Not only would they not listen, but they also scoffed at his messengers. They despised their words, it says. And finally, it says there was no healing. There was no remedy. And the lightest punishment, then, that a merciful God could send upon his rebellious people was to have them captured by Babylon. You know, a large portion of the Old Testament was written during that period, just before, uh, during, and after the captivity in Babylon. And there are so many spiritual lessons that we can, we can draw from, from these writings. For example... You know, if you think about it, Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesied during that time. Daniel prophesied in Babylon during that time, and not a long time before it happened. Isaiah was sent to appeal uh, to the people that they might turn around. There were also prophets like Hosea and Micah uh, and Amos who were sent to God's people with a message of warning. But as we just read in Second Chronicles... Uh, God's professed people, His chosen people, would not listen to those messengers. They rebelled against God's ox goad, you could say, His direction, His guidance. As a result, doom was approaching, doom that could no longer be averted.
And so, is there any uh, parallels to our time today? Because you see, friends, these Old Testament prophecies were not just given to tell us the history of, of God's people in ancient times. The prophecies were given to describe to us what is going to happen in our time and to warn us about what will happen if we give the same regard to those prophets, those messengers that God sends to us as they did to the messengers that He sent to Israel of old. Let me share something with you from the book Prophets and Kings. Prophets and Kings, pages 416 to 417. It says... Let none who claim to be the depositaries, excuse me, depositaries of God's law flatter themselves that the regard they may outwardly show toward the commandments will preserve them from the exercise of divine justice. Let none refuse to be reproved for evil, nor charge the servants of God with being too zealous in endeavoring to cleanse the camp from evil doing. A sin-hating God calls upon those who claim to keep His law to depart from all iniquity. A neglect to repent and to render willing obedience will bring upon men and women today as serious consequences that came upon ancient Israel. Let that sink in. There is a limit beyond which the judgments of Jehovah can no longer be delayed. The desolation of Jerusalem in the days of Jeremiah. Pay attention to this. Listen to this. The desolation of Jerusalem in the days of Jeremiah is a solemn warning to modern Israel that the counsels and admonitions given them through chosen instrumentalities cannot be disregarded with impunity. So the prophet says that the desolation of Jerusalem is a solemn warning to modern Israel. That's God's professed people today. Now think about that statement. And what that statement means to his professed people today. Here's another very similar statement. It's from Signs of the Times, February 12, 1880. The desolation of Jerusalem stands as a solemn warning before the eyes of modern Israel. You see, doom was approaching Israel then, at that time. And let me tell you, beloved, doom is approaching modern Israel, the professed people of God today. Now in those days, when Jeremiah was prophesying, he was in constant danger as a messenger of God. Once he was placed in prison, once he was placed in a dungeon, a number of times his life was threatened. The rulers went to the king and they said, have this man put to death because he is weakening the arms of the people, meaning he's always bringing them down. He's not an encouragement to the people. He discourages them with his messages and warnings of destruction. And during the same time Jeremiah had been beaten and was in constant danger of his life or imprisonment, there were false prophets that were very popular among the people. Now this might seem maybe ironic or, or, or paradoxical, uh, to the person who isn't a student of the Bible and sacred history, but anyone who has studied the Bible, friends, from the beginning to the end, knows that this is the standard reaction among God's professed people in every age. Sad to say, they tend to love the messages of the false prophets 
and they hate the message of the true prophet. Peter says that this is the way it's going to be in the future when he wrote his last letter to the Christian church. You find it in 2 Peter. Now, he first talks briefly about what happened back in the, the Old Testament times, and then notice what he says. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon them... And by the way, that's who John, the beloved John, says is Antichrist. Someone who professes that Jesus did not come in the flesh. And this is what, what Peter's saying as well. Even denying the Lord that bought them, he says, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And in verse 2 he says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways, and meaning their lascivious, lustful doings, the followings of their in own inclinations and carnal heart, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So Peter says it's going to be in the future exactly the same way as it was in the past. The false prophets, of course, said, Don't listen to this alarmist, speaking of Jeremiah. He's a kook. The Lord's going to break the power of the king of Babylon. You're not going to be taken by Babylon. You're going to stay right here. We are the people of God. We're the apple of his eye. There's going to be prosperity. There's going to be peace. Just stay with the church, you'll see. God will reward your loyalty to the temple. Don't we hear the same kind of speeches today? All around Christendom. They'll say, sure, hey, there's apostasy in the church. There's sin in the church, but the church isn't in apostasy. Remember, the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest, and the ship is going through. Don't we hear that? Relax. Relax. The sinners will be sifted out of Zion. All's well. As long as you stay in the pew each week, friends, all will be well. If you leave the church, you're going to lose salvation. I heard a very prominent uh, preacher say, Glue yourself to the pew. That's what Walter Veith said. Glue yourself to the pew. Do you know he said that? I bet many of you didn't know he said that. But you know who was saying these same things a long time ago? The false prophets and leaders of ancient Israel, were they were saying these same things to the people to counteract God's warnings through Jeremiah. So let me ask you, was Jeremiah a false prophet or a true one? Was he a kook? Was he an alarmist? Well, were the people of God captured by Babylon, as Jeremiah warned? Yes, they were. Will it happen again? <laughs> yes, it will. And Jeremiah is just one of the prophets who, who warned God's people. Ezekiel said the same thing. He said these false prophets would say, Peace, peace, when the Lord hasn't spoken peace. Both Isaiah and Ezekiel talk about that. And I'll tell you, my friends, we who live in this age will not have an excuse for not being in the kingdom of God. We have been warned for hundreds of years about such messengers and messages that calm the heart against the sin issue. 
You remember the story in, in Jeremiah 28 uh, where the Lord told Jeremiah to take a yoke of wood. That's what he said. Take a yoke of wood and put it on your neck and go and prophesy. You remember that? And by the way, he was to go not only to the children of Israel, but also to other nations and tell them that God had given them to serve under the king of Babylon and they should submit to it and not rebel against it. Now the false prophets, they didn't like that. They didn't like that at all. Hananiah, for one, became so angry that he went and he took the wooden yoke off of Jeremiah's neck and he broke it. And then Hananiah told the people that the Lord was going to break the power of the king of Babylon like he broke that yoke. So you know what the Lord did? The Lord told Jeremiah, go prophesy again, take, take a yoke of iron this time, not a yoke of wood, and tell them that the Lord is going to place a yoke of iron upon them. Babylon was not going to be broken. In fact, Jeremiah said, even if the entire Babylonian army was wounded, they would still rise up and take the city of Jerusalem captive. Jeremiah also had a, a message for the false prophets, and specifically Hananiah from the Lord. Remember Hananiah? He'd spoken a message as from the Lord, but it was not from the Lord. Jeremiah 28, verses 15 to 17. Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. Verse 17 says, So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. In, in uh, uh, actuality, Hananiah died two months later. And you would think this speedy fulfillment of, of the prophet's prediction should have impressed on the people the genuineness of Jeremiah's calling, uh, but few were impressed, sad to say. That you know, friends, the Bible tells us it's the false prophets who prophesy peace when there is no peace. And will the same thing happen in our time? Well, it has been happening for a long time already, and this was predicted. Let me read this to you. It's from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, pages 77 and 78. The patience of God has an object, but you are defeating it. He is allowing a state of things to come that, that you would fain see counteracted by and by, but it will be too late. God commanded Elijah to anoint the cruel and deceitful Hazael king over Syria that he might be a scourge to idolatrous Israel. Who knows whether God will not give you up to the deceptions you love? Who knows but that the preachers who are faithful, firm, and true may be the last who shall offer the gospel of peace to our unthankful churches? It may be that the destroyers are already training under the hand of Satan and only wait the departure of a few more standard bearers to take their places and with the voice of the false prophet cry, Peace, peace, when the Lord hath not spoken peace. She says, I seldom weep, but now I find my eyes blinded with tears. They are falling upon my paper as I write. It may be that ere long all prophesyings among us will be at an end, and the voice which has stirred the people may no longer disturb their carnal slumbers. When God shall work his strange work on the earth, when holy hands bear the ark no longer, woe will be upon the people. Friends, you see, the message of the false prophet 
is more popular because you don't have to stand alone for righteousness. You don't have to stand alone like Jeremiah and the rest of the prophets did. And we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to stand alone for God's truth? Jesus said in Matthew 10, verses 18 to 20, He said, And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Review and Herald, December 18, 1888, says this, It does not seem possible to us now that any should have to stand alone. But if God has ever spoken by me, the time will come when we shall be brought before councils, before thousands for His name's sake, and each one will have to give the reason of his faith. Are you ready for that, friends? I don't think I'm ready for it. Are you ready to appear before councils, before thousands for Jesus' sake, to stand alone and give the reasons why you believe what you believe? Five years later, she wrote this, Review and Herald, February 14, 1893. Many will have to stand in the legislative courts. Some will have to stand before kings and before the learned of the earth to answer for their faith. Those who have only a superficial understanding of truth will not be able clearly to expound the scriptures and give definite reasons for their faith. They will become confused and will not be workmen that need not be ashamed. Let no one imagine that he has no need to study because he is not to preach in the sacred desk. You know what that means? Don't think that you don't have to study the Bible because you're not the preacher, you're not the pastor or teacher. She says, you know, <clears throat> you know not what God may require of you. Are you ready, friends? <laughs> Are you ready to stand alone, give your testimony? Now's the time for us to be practicing our testimony as we witness to others. And let me tell you, let me encourage you that, you, you know, you will never really be alone. The angels of God will always be with you. But from a human point of view, you may not be able to see anybody with your natural eyesight. The church will see troublous times, friends. And any preacher who is not warning you of this is giving you a message of the false prophet. Inspiration said that they spoke peace, peace, when the Lord had not spoken peace. And God has not spoken peace about what's... He hasn't spoken it. About what's coming for the church in the very near future, friends. Here's one more. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 4, page 4, 594. Until Christ shall appear in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, men will become perverse in spirit and turn from the truth to fables. The church will yet see troublous times. She will prophesy in sackcloth. So the church is going to see troublous times. Now, it's true that the church prophesied in sackcloth from 538 A.D. to, to, to 1798, you know, those 1260 years. But notice what we just read. That's going to be repeated, not that timeline, but that, that the church will have to prophesy in sackcloth again. The Lord says that there will be a time when the people of God will be conquered and captured by Babylon again at the end of time. 
not necessarily conquered by Babylon, but captured by Babylon. God had not spoken peace to his people Israel. He could not speak peace as they were disobedient, rebellious against him. He was instead appealing to the people to repent. But the time came when, because of their sins, the lightest punishment that could be given was for them to be captured by Babylon. And even then God decided uh, to make their lot lighter by telling them to cooperate with their uh, captors, their conquerors. In fact, if you read through the middle chapters of the book of Jeremiah, you'll find out over and over again that right up to the last, the Lord appealed to them to repent and obey Him. The Lord appealed to the leaders, to the king, to listen, to obey, to turn around. And the last chance is given, you find it in Jeremiah 38, verses 17 and 18. Notice what it says there. Then said Jeremiah unto Zedekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If thou wilt assuredly go forth unto the king of Babylon's princes, then thy soul shall live, and this city shall not be burned with fire, and thou shalt live in thine house. But if thou wilt not go forth to the king of Babylon's princes, then shall this city be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and thou shalt not escape out of their hand. And so there it is. There's a last chance before being captured by Babylon. Jeremiah tells him, if you'll do what God is telling you to do, then this city will not be burned with fire, and you will live, he says. You'll live, and not only you, but also your house, your family will live. Now, you would think, friends, (laughs) that if you knew the God of heaven was speaking to you, and that if you would listen to him, you your family, and your house would live, and the city would be saved from destruction and not be burned, then that would be the thing to do. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think that would be the thing to do? But the king didn't do it. Why did Zedekiah refuse to listen to the prophet of the Lord and do what God was asking him to do? Why did he refuse? Friends, it's the same reason that the majority of God's professed people don't obey the counsel of the Lord through his prophets and messengers today. Zedekiah refused, and I'm going to give you a number of reasons why. This isn't the only reason, but Zedekiah refused to obey the Lord because of his fear of the Jews. Doesn't that sound familiar? And you remember a, a, a time in the New Testament where God's people weren't doing what the Lord wanted for fear of the Jews? Notice what it says in Jeremiah 38, verses 19 and 20. And Zedekiah the king said unto Jeremiah, I'm afraid of the Jews that are fallen to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand, and they mock me. But Jeremiah said, They shall not deliver thee. Obey, I beseech thee, the voice of the Lord, which I speak unto thee, so it shall be well unto thee, and thy soul shall live. Why would Zedekiah not do what God told him to do? He was afraid of the Jews. He was afraid of the people around him. Secretly, he wanted to know the truth, but he was not willing to obey it. Why was this king not willing to obey divine counsel, even when he believed it was the truth? And when you read through 
the account, you see that over and over again he would secretly send for Jeremiah and he'd say, tell me, is there a message from Jehovah for us? Tell me, I want to know. And when he received the message, I mean, he didn't say, I don't believe it. He would hear the truth but not obey because he feared the Jews. He feared the people. He didn't want to be ridiculed and be disrespected. How did this terrible fear take such hold of, of his mind that he eventually lost everything? In the, and in, not only did he lose everything, but in the most terrible way. Let's look at Jer, Jeremiah chapter 39. Verses 4 to 7. And it came to pass that when Zedekiah the king of Judah saw them, and all the men of war, then they fled and went forth out of the city by night, by the way of the king's garden, by the gate betwixt the two walls. And he... <laughs> I see that word betwixt, and it just reminds me, I get, I've used that word before unconsciously, and I get teased by it. I'm teased for it. It says, by the gate betwixt the two walls, and he went out the way of the plain. I know. She said, between the two walls, but it says betwixt. And I, anyway. Verse 5. But the Chaldeans' army pursued after them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he gave judgment unto him. Then the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah in Riblah before his eyes. Also the king of Babylon slew all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with chains to carry him to Babylon. Just a minute here, I'll make a note. Uh, Otter Zeal, um, I appreciate you putting things in the room. I sent you an email this morning. Maybe you, maybe you haven't seen it. It has all the, the, the notes that you could put into the room. Sorry about that. Sorry for the interruption. Now maybe if you can check it, you know, it'll help you out. So here, this, here we read in Jeremiah 39 what the king of Babylon did to Zedekiah and his family. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible story. It's a terrible story. But it could have been avoided. The city was burned. Thousands of God's people were killed. The rulers were slaughtered. Zedekiah watched his own family slaughtered before his very eyes. And then the king of Babylon plucked out the eyes of Zedekiah himself. And then he was taken to Babylon as a trophy. Yeah. I mean... Think about it. What was the last thing that Zedekiah ever saw? His family being put to death. It was done so on purpose. That's what the king of Babylon wanted Zedekiah always to remember. But he had been warned. He had been warned over and over, but feared too much about what the church might say. The ridicule, the scorn... The condemnation of those who were doomed along with him. And it indeed is a tragic story, isn't it? But it's a warning. Let me read this to you. It's from the SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 2. 
page 1040. It says, Zedekiah was faithfully instructed through the prophet Jeremiah how he might be preserved from the calamities that would surely come upon him if he did not change his course and serve the Lord. The calamities came because he would not, through obedience, place himself under the protection of God. Think about that a moment. How do we receive the protection of God? Through obedience to Him. We give Him permission to protect us. God does not coerce or force the will. We have to choose. And by our obedience, we show that we're choosing. And like she says, the calamities came because he would not, through obedience, place himself under the protection of God. With his eyes put out, he was led in chains of captivity to Babylon. What a sad and awful warning is this to those who harden themselves under reproof and who will not humble themselves in repentance that God may save them. So why did this happen? Zedekiah wouldn't humble himself and obey God. And part of the reason was because of the false prophets. The false prophets were very popular with the people and, and with the rulers. But Jeremiah wasn't popular. But the false prophets were very popular. And there are still false prophets who are very popular, more popular than God's servants are. These false prophets are the media stars of the church. Think about it. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 4, page 185. There are many false prophets in these days to whom sin does not appear specially repulsive. They complain that the peace of the people is unnecessarily disturbed by the reproofs and warnings of God's messengers. As for them, they lull the souls of sinners into a fatal ease by their smooth and deceitful teachings. Ancient Israel was thus charmed by the flattering messages of the corrupt priests. The prediction of prosperity was more pleasing than the message of the true prophet who counseled repentance and submission. The servants of God should manifest a tender, compassionate spirit and show to all that they are not actuated by any personal motives in their dealings with the people and that they do not take delight in giving messages of wrath in the name of the Lord, but they must never flinch from pointing out the sins that are corrupting the professed people of God, nor cease striving to influence them to turn from their errors and obey the Lord. Those who seek to cloak sin and make it appear less aggravating to the mind of the offender are doing the work of the false prophets and may expect the retributive wrath of God to follow such a course. Oh, my friends. My, oh, my. You know, the false prophets said, Why are you making these poor people to be continually reminded of their sins and threatened with punishment? And so these, these messages of peace, of in sin, strengthen the people to resist the message of the true prophet. But that's not the only reason. But it's one of the reasons that the message of the true prophet was rejected. The message of the false prophet was so much more flattering. It sounded so much more wonderful, 
predicting prosperity. We're going to make the church great again. <laughs> to coin a phrase. You know? But here's another reason why Zedekiah did not obey the truth. Prophets and Kings, page 450. He rebelled against the prophets, against his benefactor, and against his God. In the vanity of his own wisdom, he turned for help to the ancient enemy of Israel's prosperity, sending his ambassadors into Egypt that they might give him horses and, and much people. So, Zedekiah turned to the vanity of his own wisdom and he sought help from the world. Let me tell you, friends, there is no insanity so dreadful as human wisdom unaided and undirected by the wisdom and knowledge of God. We see this insanity everywhere amongst God's people today. It seems. I mean, it was the problem that King Saul had. Remember when we talked about Saul and David? It was the problem that Haziel had. And he was wise above what's written. He was wiser than the prophet. But he had this problem. And that became the problem for Zedekiah. The vanity of his own wisdom. He thought he was so wise in his own eyes. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 18... Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool. He means, as the world would see him then, that he may be wise. Because spiritual things are spiritually discerned, friends. And the world looks upon God's spiritual people as fools. Now so far in the example of Zedekiah, we find three reasons why he was captured by Babylon. And this is a lesson for us who live in this day. This is a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled for God's people before the end comes. First, the king did not humble himself and obey God. Second, the influence of the false prophets. And third, the king trusted to his own wisdom. Here's a fourth reason. Prophets and Kings, page 440. Through Jeremiah, Zedekiah and all Judah, including those taken to Babylon, were counseled to submit quietly to the temporary rule of their conquerors. Notice the word temporary rule. It was especially important that those in captivity should seek the peace of the land into which they had been carried. This, however, was contrary to the inclinations of the human heart. The what? the inclinations of the human heart. And Satan, taking advantage of the circumstances, caused false prophets to rise among the people, both in Jerusalem and in Babylon, who declared that the yoke of bondage would soon be broken and the former prestige of the nation restored. The fourth reason, friends, is that the truth was contrary to the inclinations of the human heart. And Satan took advantage of that situation, and the king was captured by Babylon. And beloved, it is predicted that this will be the exact same situation in the last days, the days we're living in. 
You can see this happening in the country of the United States, but you can see it all around the world. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 to 12. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie. He doesn't send the delusion, friends. He has to withdraw because they don't love the truth. Thus, they're opened up for stronger delusions. And they believe the lie. The lie of the false second coming of Christ by Satan. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, people today want a religion. They do. And I'm saying not just people of the world, but also people that say they're Christians. People that say they are part of God's remnant people. They want a religion. They want a religion that agrees with the inclinations of their human heart. But Bible religion, friends, does not agree with the inclination of the human heart. And that's why Jesus said, you know, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. That's why he says that. You've got to deny yourself, your inclinations. That's why the Apostle Paul said that the old man has to be crucified, as you can read in Galatians 2 or Romans 6. The religion of the Bible is contrary to the inclinations of the human heart. The truth is contrary to the inclination of the human heart, and people want a religion that's agreeable, that's not contrary to their inclinations, not contrary to what they really want to do. And that's why the false prophets have always been more popular you see, than those that are preaching the message of the Bible. But there's one more reason that led Zedekiah to be captured by Babylon, and this reason is a very common one, that's found throughout the world. In fact, the reasons why Zedekiah was captured by Babylon are the same reasons anyone is taken by Babylon, and that's why I'm sharing them with you this morning. Let's go back to the book Prophets and Kings, page 457. Thus, even to the last hour, God made plain His willingness to show mercy to those who would choose to submit to His just requirements. Had the king chosen to obey, the lives of the people might have been spared and the city saved from conflagration. But notice this. But he thought he had gone too far to retrace his steps. What does that mean? People have gone contrary to what God has said to do for so long that they think there is no hope. They don't believe God's word and that he will, that he will forgive them. But there was hope for Zedekiah and the professed people of God. I mean, we just read it. There was hope. Jeremiah said, if you just submit to the king of Babylon, you'll save your life, your family, the city, Everyone will live. But he thought he'd gone too far to be forgiven. And beloved, the devil is one, the one that is trying to get you 
to think that you've gone too far to repent and come back to God. Let me remind you what Jesus said in John 6.37. Jesus says, All that come, excuse me, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. There are none that are so vile or have fallen so low that they cannot find deliverance in Christ. Zedekiah could have found the same deliverance. He could have stood up and said, I'm going to make an about face. I've been living in rebellion and transgression of what Jeremiah has been saying, but I am going to follow and do what the Lord says. I believe it's the right thing to do. And if he would have done that, he would have saved his life, saved his eyes, saved the lives of his children, saved the people of God, saved his city but he had thought that he had gone too far to retrace his steps. How is it with you, friends? It may be very, very late, but if you'll listen and obey the Lord, you'll have a better chance than anything else you can do to redeem the time and be saved from the sin issue. But so many people feel that they've gone so far in sin they can't turn around. They can't retrace their steps, as the Bible says. And that's what Zedekiah believed. And in addition to that, what we've spoken of before, he was afraid. He was afraid of the Jews around him who'd been influenced by the false prophets. And friends, are you afraid of people around you that have been influenced by false teachers? That's what it means, really, to have a fear of the Jews. He was afraid of the Jews. He was afraid of the ridicule. He was afraid he'd lose his life, maybe. He'd been rebelling against God for years. And he thought it would be too humiliating to have to say, you know, I've been wrong all this time. It would be humiliating, too humiliating to say, I'm going to accept the word of the Lord. I'm not going to war against the word of the Lord anymore. So Zedekiah, he didn't want to do it. And as a result, the city was destroyed, people killed, his family slaughtered in his eyes, and his eyes plucked out by the king of Babylon. Now, something else. These false prophets, of course, during the time building up to this final crisis, were creating confusion. That's what Babylon means, doesn't it? They were creating confusion and rebellion by prophesying lies and encouraging people to look upon sin as a light thing. And the same thing's being done in the professed church today. And when the terrible results of the evil deeds were made manifest, what did they do? They sought to put the blame on Jeremiah. Notice again, Prophets of Kings, page 442. To the end of time, men will arise to create confusion and rebellion. When the terrible results of their evil deeds are made manifest, they will seek, if possible, to make the one who has faithfully warned them responsible for their difficulties. Friends, this is what Satan does every time. And when you have that remnant of people, and you have the death decree that Revelation says is coming, the death decree is, to, is placed upon the people of God because the false prophets are pointing to them as the reason for all of the destruction and calamities upon the earth. As she says, it will be that way till the end of time. 
And those who are preaching lies will blame God's messengers for everything that's going wrong. They'll blame them for discouraging the people. They'll say, you know, you, you need to talk more about the love of God and, and not the sin issue, Pastor Joel. I'm not listening to you no more, this sin issue. And that's what they said about Moses, you know. That's what they said about Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Hosea. That's what they said about all the prophets, and they say it today. And it's so easy for us as people to read what we, we've been reading just now in the Bible and simply think that they're reading a story. An ancient story about what happened to God's people long, long ago. But the time of Zedekiah, the people of God, captured by Babylon, is not just a story from long ago. It's something that will happen again and is happening. Remember what we read earlier? Prophets and Kings. Pages 416, 417. The desolation of Jerusalem in the days of Jeremiah is a solemn warning to modern Israel that the counsels and admonitions given them through chosen instrumentalities cannot be disregarded with impunity. And the, the other one, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 4, page 594. Until Christ shall appear in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, men will become perverse in spirit and turn from the truth to fables. The church will yet see troublous times. She will prophesy in sackcloth. There's no doubt about that. Are God's professed people going to again be captured by Babylon? Yes, they are. They were captured by Babylon in Jeremiah's time. They were captured by Babylon during those 1260 years, 538 A.D. to 1798 A.D. Revelation 13 and 14 describes that they will be captured by Babylon at the end of time. Are you ready for that day? How are you dealing with the sin issue? Will you be able to stand faithful? How you deal with the sin issue today, friends, will tell how you will deal with being captured by Babylon then. Today is the day to conquer your sins through the grace and character of Jesus Christ. Today. Don't delay giving Him your sins by confession and repentance. Turn away from them. You'll endure the captivity time. I'll close up here by speaking about Micah. In Micah chapter 4, we read a prophecy for the last days. In fact, the very opening words in the chapter are, but in the last days it shall come to pass. That should give us a heads up, don't you think? Then it talks about the great worldwide international religious peace movement. It describes it in language very similar to the way that uh, Isaiah described the great international religious peace movement in the last days. I did, Isaiah described it in the second chapter of his book. Micah describes it in the fourth chapter of his book. Now I want you to notice what it says in Micah 4 and verse 9. Speaking here to God's people about the last days, he says, Now why dost thou cry aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. You see, Zedekiah was the last king. And after Zedekiah, you can read in the book of Ezekiel, uh, uh, the Lord says, There is never going to be a king over my people again until he comes who is righteous, and I will give the kingdom to him. And that's speaking of Jesus Christ. That's speaking of the Messiah. Micah 4 and verse 10. 
Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. There's coming a time, friends, when some of God's children will be driven out of the city into the fields. They'll be driven into the rocks. They'll be driven into the mountains. Some will be down in Babylon, down in the belly of the beast. Some of them will be in dungeons somewhere. The church is going to see troublous times. She's going to prophesy in sackcloth. Don't let any false prophet tell you otherwise. Micah 4 verse 7 says, And I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation. Now you've got to understand the timing of this. People get mixed up. Adventists get mixed up on the timing of this. And I'll make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. The Lord says, I'm going to take my people that have been captured by Babylon and make them a remnant for a strong nation, and I'm going to reign over them. And friends, are you going to be one of the remnant? And beloved, not all, the Bible says, not all who profess to be Israel are Israel. Not all who profess to be Israel will be saved. In fact, we're told very few. Only a remnant will be saved. And that remnant comes forth after the world has been captured by Babylon. Hear me now. Don't be confused by false prophets. This is after Babylon captures the world. That is what the Bible says, especially in Revelations chapters 14 to 18. We sit here and we wonder, why are we scattered like the leaves of autumn in little groups and by ourselves all around? Because this time has not come yet. God will gather the remnant together. After the captivity. We just read it, Micah. When all the world bows down to Babylon, there will be, like the three Hebrew uh, uh, worthies, there in the plains of Dura, a remnant that will stand for the Lord, though threatened with death. A remnant that the Lord will deliver from the fiery flames of Babylon. And that will be the church triumphant, friends. Not the church structure we see today, as so many believe, because they're listening to false prophets. You want to be among the remnant that God will deliver from Babylon? I do. I want you to be too. Another time of trouble is coming when the church is going to prophesy again in sackcloth. And don't be like Zedekiah who lost his life and thousands of people who were God's professed people around him lost their lives and his family died and his rulers lost their lives. He had his eyes put out and was brought to Babylon. Because of fear of the Jews, he wasn't willing to stand for the truth. And friends, how is it with you? Are you waiting for someone else to stand up against sin? Or are you willing to stand up against sin and for truth and say, Lord, help me to never have the fear of the Jews, the fear of man again. Friends, there is a reason that the three angels' messages opens with the words, Fear God. And as we approach the end of human history, all of us are going to be in one of two categories. 
We're either going to fear God and obey Him and be obedient to His law, or we're going to fear man and obey His laws that are contrary to the laws of God. That is what the sin issue is about, and how God will solve it forever for you and I if we will listen to Him and obey. But what category are you going to be in? Every day, friends, we're making decisions that are going to determine our eternal destiny. And when we are captured by Babylon, where will we be on that day in relation to God? Will we be with the great majority who because of the fear of the Jews and not humbling ourselves and obeying God? Or will we be those who listen to the false prophets and trust to our own wisdom and follow the inclinations of our own heart? Which side are we going to be on? This will lead you to confusion if you listen to them. It will cause you to think you've gone too far to be saved. Troublous times are coming, friends. And now's the time to get ready. Now's the time to be studying our Bibles and saying, Lord, teach us, teach us the truth. Teach us how to be ready so that we can give a witness for you to anybody in the world. A king, a legislature, a government, anybody. If we don't know our Bibles, friends, the wisdom of the world's men will be too much for us, I fear. Now's the time. Now is the time to fear God only. And like those Hebrew worthies, stand when all others bow. All within see, on that day, our mighty God deliver us from Babylon. I'll close with Psalms 91, verse 14 to 16. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's God's promise for us, friends. Let's claim that promise today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you again so very, very much for uh, your Bible, your holy words, for giving us an opportunity to come to thee openly and honestly, confessing our sins and asking for forgiveness before it's too late. Help us, Lord, not to be as Zedekiah was. Help us to be faithful as Jeremiah was and to stand, even though to the world we may seem to stand alone. Let us have faith and courage to know that angels surround us and all creation that follows God is on our side. Please continue to be with us this Sabbath day. Help us to keep it holy and bring glory to thy name. We thank you so very much for all your wonderful care for us and your enduring love. And we thank you for answering our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I uh, don't want to welcome. I want to say thanks for joining us there on YouTube and, uh, and Facebook. Uh, be sure to, you know, uh, like our page, and then you'll get notifications of our, our messages and, and uh, just different studies and different things like that. May God be with you and bless you until we see each other again. Take care.